Section 93 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 2 Despairs in Presence of Each Other. It was a little before ten o'clock in the morning, a quarter before, as they say in Guernsey. The flood of people seemed to be increasing at St. Sampson. The population, fevered with curiosity, streamed to the north of the island and the Havlet, which lies on the south, was more deserted than ever. Nevertheless a boat and boatman were to be seen there. In the boat there lay a traveling-bag. The boatman seemed to be waiting. The Kashmir could be seen lying at anchor in the roads, but as it was not to start until noon no preparations for getting under sail were visible as yet. If anyone passing along the staircase paths of the cliff had listened, he would have heard a murmur of words in the havelet, and, if he had leaned over the overhanging rocks, he would have seen, some distance from the boat, in a nook formed of rocks and branches, where the eye of the boatman could not penetrate, two persons, a man and a woman, Ebenezer and Derichette. Those obscure niches on the sea-coast which tempt maidens to the bath are not always as solitary as they are supposed to be people are sometimes seen and listened to. Those who take refuge and shelter there can easily be followed through the dense vegetation, and, thanks to the multiplicity of paths, the granite and trees which conceal the private meeting may also conceal a witness. Derichette and Ebenezer were standing face to face with their eyes riveted on each other. They clasped each other's hands. Derichette was speaking. Ebenezer was silent. A tear which had gathered and paused between his lashes hung there, but did not fall. Grief and passion were stamped on Ebenezer's religious brow. A poignant resignation was added thereto, a resignation hostile to faith, though proceeding from it. On that countenance, simply angelic up to that point, there was the beginning of a fatal expression. He who had hitherto meditated only on dogma was beginning to meditate on fate, an unhealthy meditation for a priest. Faith is decomposed in it. Nothing is more disturbing than to bend under the unknown. Man is the sufferer of events. Life is a perpetual succession. We undergo it. We never know from what quarter fate's abrupt descent will be made catastrophes and happiness enter, then depart, like unexpected personages. They have their law, their orbit, their gravitation, outside of man. Virtue does not bring happiness, crime does not bring unhappiness. Conscience has one logic, fate has another. No coincidence. Nothing can be foreseen. We live pell-mell, and in confusion. Conscience is a straight line. Life is a whirlwind. This whirlwind unexpectedly casts upon the head of man black chaos and blue skies. Fate does not understand the art of transitions. Sometimes the wheel turns so rapidly that man hardly distinguishes the interval between one revolution and another, and the bond between yesterday and today. Ebenezer was a believer whose faith was mingled with reasoning, and a priest who was subject to passion. 
religions which impose celibacy know what they are about. Nothing undoes a priest like loving a woman. All sorts of clouds threw a gloom over Ebenezer. He gazed at Derechette too long. These two beings idolized each other. In Ebenezer's eyes lay the mute adoration of despair. Derechette was saying, You shall not go. I have not the strength for that. You see, I thought that I had strength enough to bid you farewell, but I have not. One cannot be forced to accomplish an impossibility. Why did you come yesterday? You should not have come if you wished to go away. I have never spoken to you. I loved you, but I did not know it. Only that first day, when Monsieur Hérode read the story of Rebecca, and your eyes met mine, I felt my cheeks aflame, and I thought, oh, how crimson Rebecca must have become. If anyone had said to me yesterday, you love the rector, I should have laughed. That is the terrible thing about our love. It has been like a treason. I paid no heed to it. I went to church. I saw you. I thought that everyone was like myself. I do not reproach you. You have done nothing to make me love you. You took no trouble. You looked at me. It is not your fault if you look at people. And that made me adore you. I did not suspect it. But when you took the book, it was light. When others took it, it was only a book. You sometimes cast your eyes on me. You spoke of archangels, and you were the archangel. What you said I immediately thought. Before you came, I do not know whether I believed in God. Since you came, I have become a praying woman. I said to Douce, dress me very quickly that I may not miss the service, and I ran to church. So that is being in love with a man. I did not know it. I said to myself, how devout I am becoming. It is you who have taught me that I did not go to church for the sake of God. I went there for your sake. That is true. You are handsome. You talk well. When you raised your arms to heaven, it seemed to me that you held my heart in your two white hands. I was mad. I did not know it. If you wish me to tell you your fault, it is this. Having entered the garden yesterday, having spoken to me, if you had said nothing to me, I should have known nothing. You would have taken your departure. I should have been sad. Perhaps now I shall die. Now that I know that I love you, it is no longer possible that you should go away. Of what are you thinking? You do not appear to be listening to me. Ebenezer replied, You heard what was said yesterday? Alas, what can I do against that? They were silent for a moment. Ebenezer began again. There is but one thing for me to do, to go away, and for me to die. Oh, I, I wish there were no sea, and that there were nothing but heaven. It seems to me that that would arrange everything. Our departure would be the same. You ought not to have spoken to me. Why did you speak to me? Then do not go away. What is to become of me? I, I tell you that I shall die. You will be well advanced, and I shall be in the cemetery. Oh, 
my heart is broken i am very unhappy yet my uncle is not unkind this was the first time in her life that Deruchette had said my uncle in speaking of mes Lettieries. up to that day she had always said my father ebenezer retreated a step and made a sign to the boatman the sound of the boat-hook could be heard among the boulders and the step of the man on the edge of his bark no no cried Deruchette. ebenezer drew near to her again it must be Deruchette. no never for the sake of an engine is it possible did you see that horrible man yesterday you cannot abandon me you are clever you will find a way it cannot be that you told me to come and meet you here this morning with the idea that you would go away i have done nothing to you you have no reason to complain of me is it by this vessel that you meant to go i will not have it you shall not leave me heaven is not open to be thus closed again i tell you that you shall stay besides it is not yet time oh i love you and pressing herself against him she crossed the ten fingers of both hands behind his neck as though to make with her encircling arms a bond for ebenezer and with her clasped hands a prayer to god he loosened this gentle clasp which resisted as far as it was able deruchette sank back in a sitting posture on a projecting rock covered with ivy with a mechanical gesture turning up the sleeve of her gown to the elbow showing her charming bare arm with a suffused and pallid light in her eyes the boat was approaching ebenezer took her head in his two hands this virgin had the look of a widow and this young man had the look of an old man he touched her hair with a sort of religious care he fixed his gaze upon her for some moments then he placed on her brow one of those kisses beneath which it seems as though a star must blossom forth and in an accent wherein trembled supreme anguish and in which the rending of the soul could be heard he uttered this word the word from the depths farewell deruchette burst into sobs at that moment they heard a slow grave voice saying why should you not marry ebenezer turned his head Deruchette raised her eyes. Gilead stood before them. He had just entered by a side path. Gilead was no longer the same man that he had been on the previous evening. He had combed his hair, he had shaved his beard, he had put on shoes, he wore a sailor's white shirt with a broad rolling collar, he was dressed in his newest sailor's clothes. A gold ring could be seen on his little finger he seemed profoundly calm. There was a paleness beneath his sunburn, suffering bronze, such was this visage. They stared at him in amazement. Although unrecognizable, Deruchette recognized him. As for the words which he had just uttered, they were so remote from what they were thinking of at the moment that they made but little impression on their minds. Gilead repeated, Why should you bid each other farewell marry you can go together Deruchette started she trembled from head to foot gilliatt continued miss Deruchette is of age she is dependent upon herself alone her uncle is only her uncle you love each other 
Derichette interrupted him gently. "'How comes it that you are here?' "'Marry each other,' repeated Gilliatt. Derichette began to perceive what this man was saying to her. She stammered, "'My poor uncle!' "'He would refuse if the marriage had not taken place. He will consent when the marriage is already performed. Besides, you are going away. When you return he will forgive.' Gilead added, with a shade of bitterness, and then he is thinking only of rebuilding his boat. That will occupy him during your absence. He has the Durand to console him. I should not like, stammered Dittershed, in a stupor in which joy was discernible, to leave any unhappiness behind me. It will not last long, said Gilead. Ebenezer and Dittershed had been dazzled, as it were. They were recovering themselves now. As their confusion decreased, the sense of Gilead's words became apparent to them. A cloud was mingled with them, but it was not to their interest to resist. One allows those who are saving us to have their way. Objections against a return to paradise are weak. In Derechette's attitude, as she leaned imperceptibly on Ebenezer, there was something which made common cause with what Gilead said. As for the enigma of the presence of this man, and of his words, which, in Derechette's mind in particular, evoked many varieties of astonishment, they were side-issues. This man was saying to them, marry. This was clear. If there were any responsibility, he assumed it. Derechette felt, in a confused way, that for many reasons he had the right so to do. What he had said of Mes Lettieries was true. Ebenezer murmured thoughtfully, "'An uncle is not a father.' He was under the influence of a sudden and happy change. The probable scruples of the clergyman melted and dissolved in this poor, loving heart. Gilead's voice became curt and harsh, and something like the pulsations of fever could be heard in it. "'Instantly. The Kashmir sails in two hours. You have time, but you have barely time.' come. Ebenezer gazed at him attentively. All at once he exclaimed, I recognize you. It was you who saved my life. Gilead replied, I think not. Yonder, at the point of the banks. I don't know the place. It was on the very day of my arrival. Let us not waste time, said Gilead. And I am not mistaken, you are the man we saw last evening. Perhaps. What is your name? Gilead raised his voice. Boatman, wait for us. We are coming back. Miss Letterie, you asked me how it comes that I am here. It is very simple. I walked behind you. You are twenty-one years of age. In this country, when people have attained their majority and are dependent only on themselves, they can marry in a quarter of an hour. Let us take the path along the waterside. It is practicable. The sea will not cover it until noon, but come at once with me. Derechette and Ebenezer seemed to consult each other with a glance. They stood beside each other and did not stir. They were as though intoxicated. There are such hesitations on the brink of that abyss, happiness. They understood, as it were, without comprehending. His name is Gilliat, said Derechette to Ebenezer. Gilead began again with a sort of authority. "'Why do you tarry? 
I tell you to follow me. Whither? asked Ebenezer. There. And Gilead pointed toward the tower of the church. They followed him. Gilead went on before. His step was firm. They walked unsteadily. As they advanced towards the church, something which was soon to become a smile could be seen dawning on the pure and beautiful faces of Ebenezer and Deruchette. The approach to the church illuminated them. In Gilead's hollow eyes reigned night. One would have said that he was a specter conducting two souls to paradise. Ebenezer and Deruchette did not fully comprehend what was about to take place. The intervention of the man was the branch at which the drowning wretch clutches. They followed Gilead with a docility of despair, leaning on the first comer. He who feels that he is dying is not over-scrupulous in making the most of chance. Deruchette, being more ignorant, was more confident. Ebenezer pondered. Deruchette had attained her majority. The formalities of English marriage are very simple, especially in primitive countries where the rectors of the parish have almost discretionary power. But nevertheless, would the dean consent to celebrate the marriage without even inquiring whether the uncle consented? That was the question. One might make the trial, however. In any case, it was a reprieve. But who was this man? And if it really was he whom Mes Lettieri had declared to be his son-in-law on the preceding evening, how was his present course of action to be explained? He, the obstacle, had been converted into providence. Ebenezer yielded himself to it, but he gave to what was taking place the tacit and rapid consent of the man who feels that he is saved. The path was uneven, sometimes wet and difficult. Ebenezer, in his absorption, paid no heed to the pools of water and the blocks of stone. From time to time Gilead turned and said to Ebenezer, Look out for these stones. Give her your hand. End of chapter 2 Despairs in presence of each other